All right. Wednesday night, we had a fill-in podcast this last Wednesday, and it was, it was pretty good. I liked it. Uh, thank you for whoever's picking these things. I think Joy's picking them out. Uh, thank you, Dan, for being um, you know, ready to have it go out. You were out of town, and it still was able to get on there. You planned all that out. I'm very appreciative, appreciative of that. And uh, I hope that if you listen to Wednesday nights on the podcast, I hope you enjoyed those uh, sermons from last year. And we've been going through Galatians. We finished up Galatians. I could have gotten more in-depth with it, but I kind of wanted to do not really an overview, but not really a real big-time in-depth but I, I wanted to get through it, and you get the most of it. Uh, here recently, we've been, I've, been, I've been challenged, and I've challenged the people here at this church to get into the Word of God, and I've, I've mentioned what I've been doing, reading a proverb that matches up with the date. So today's the 20th, so I read Proverbs 20 this morning, and... Um, and also, I've, I've been reading three psalms, so that put me through Psalm 60 today. Uh, I've read through James. I've read through First Peter, Second Peter. Read a couple chapters of John. So I've, I've been reading just just to read. Now for preparation, that's why I went through James because we're going to be in James tonight. Now, the Epistle of James. Think about James is the first New Testament book that was written. It is, it is commonly believed that James would be the very first New Testament book that was written. So it is very Jewish in nature. Now it has something in common with uh, Galatians. But yet, on the surface, if you know what we just went through, we went through Galatians, and it was all about grace, no, don't mix any law in with it. And now here you got James, who's all about the law, and I say they got something in common. You're like, if you know, if you know about James, if you already know, you're going to be going, what do you mean? How can they, they could not be more different. But there's something that they have in common. We, when, we, when we talk about church, people will say, what's the word that people will say? Uh, he goes to church all the time. He is religious. Or what's your religion? How many times in all the Bible does the word religion show up? Religion. Huh? That's a good guess. It's not zero. It's more than zero. One. Whoa. She's the closest. Five times that the word religion is in the Bible. Two of them are in James. And two of them are in Galatians. So the word religion is in Galatians and James. The other places in Acts. Now, the word religious... Is in the Bible twice, once in James, 
and once in Acts. What about the word grace? Grace. How many times do you think that word is in James? You're thinking not a lot? But you know it's going to be quite a bit in there on faith because what's the famous verse in, in James? Works with you know, faith without works. Talk up, really? All right. That everybody knows that, that James says, if you don't have works, I don't believe in your faith. But we're told we cannot do works to get salvation. But, like James says, you get salvation and then you will do works. And he's got examples. So James is a, is a really good epistle for us to not get lazy in the faith that we need to be people who are doers of the Word, not just hearers of the Word. Now, grace in James, three times. Faith in James, 16 times. That's a, it's a small book. It's only, it's only, what, five chapters? And it's got, it's got faith 16 times, grace only three. What about believe? What about, well, there's different, in the King James Bible, you have believest and believeth. Second person, third person, and then just straight up believe. And you also have believed, past tense, they believed, and believing. I wrote all those down. I wrote believe, believed, believest, believeth, and believing. Out of all those, in James, only three times. Wisdom, four times. That's one of the key words in James is wisdom. What other book of the Bible pops into your head when I say wisdom? Proverbs. Very good, Joy. So you can see in James a whole lot of his mind thinking about the Proverbs. Because the Proverbs a whole lot about what we actually do, whether it be bad or good. Brethren, 15 times in James, brethren. The word law, can't mix grace with law in escalations. How many times is law in the book of James? Nine times. Now back to the word believe and believest and believeth. Just to compare, the gospel of John. I mentioned it the other day. Be, just the word believe, 49 times. How many times is faith in John? Zero. How? Now, do you know how many times the word faith is in all the Bible? More than four. It's only, and it's only two times in the Old Testament. And all the rest is in the New Testament. You can check me on this because I got so many words and numbers in my head, and I don't have all this wrote down, so I might mess up here. But I, I'm, I'm really confident that 247 times the word faith is throughout the Bible. 247. What's significant about 247? Huh? I can't hear you. 
That's the redneck version of why it's significant. You need to have some faith 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 24-7. Now, that may not be one bit why, but I love it. Every single New Testament book, except for John and maybe 3rd John, so that's still John writing, all the other New Testament books, faith, 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 but the whole Gospel of John, not one. Now, they do have faith less, so it's got negative one. Each gospel, faithless, is in the Bible four times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each gospel, and it's basically the same story Jesus is telling. And so John has faithless, but it does not have faith. It doesn't have faithful. No faith whatsoever in John. But it is eat up with believe and believeth, believest, believed, and you add all of those up, it's 97 times in the book of John. Now, also, another word that's not in the Gospel of John is repent. I, I, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, preachers will say, if you don't repent, if you haven't repented, you haven't really been saved. And I ask them, well, why isn't repent in the book of John? And they look at me like I'm crazy. And they go start looking, and they're like, I can't find it anywhere in John. Uh, if you got to get enough faith to believe, and then you can be saved, you got to get faith, you got to have faith, got to have faith. Why isn't faith in the book of John? Uh, because you will never have enough faith to believe. None of us can, can develop any faith that's worth anything. It's all got to come from Jesus. Every bit of the faith that's worth anything is what comes from Jesus Christ. The, uh, the, armor, the whole armor of God, all the pieces are what we get from Jesus. All we're asked to do is to put them on. They're already there for us, and we got to put them on. To be a born-again child of God, you have to accept the fact that God decided to become human. He came down from heaven. He walked this earth. He grew up from a little baby, was tempted in all points like we are tempted, never failed. He was in a human body, so Satan thought, I think I might be able to get him now. There's no way we can do anything to God, but if this is, if this is God's son... He's in a human body. He's hungry. Uh, hey, Jesus, why don't you turn those stones into bread and you can eat? And why don't you uh, worship me for just a second and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world? Oh, why don't you let me throw you off the pinnacle of the temple and the angels will have to swoop in and save you from hitting the ground and breaking up and maybe killing this human body that you're in. And, and every time Jesus said, No, for it is written, for it is written, for it is written. Jesus was in a body that could be killed, but yet he was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. That makes no sense to me, but it's true. That body 
could have been. I, you know how they would get so upset with him? And they would say, right, we're throwing him over. There was that one story where he was speaking in the temple and they got all mad at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They got all mad at him and they went to take him out and they were going to just get rid of him. And he just disappears. He just walks through everything and he, they're all like, where's he at? Where's he at? I think it was all the angels that were protecting him just, oh no, you're not touching him, you know, bodyguards. And he just was able to leave whenever he needed to. He was protected. And I bet you anything that that night that he was betrayed and Judas walks up and kisses him and they came to get him, I bet you all the angels that were assigned to protect him was ready and Jesus was like, nope, stand down, stand down. And they're all like, well, no, no, no. The angels have been 4,000 years up to the point Jesus got to that, that part of his life. They had, I just read it in First Peter, not that long ago. The angels looked into what the prophets had wrote. And the angels, that means they were having Bible study up in heaven. And they're going, oh, I think it means this. No, I think it means that. Because they, they, they don't even know. And when all this started to happen, they're like, oh, it's finally happening. When, when Gabriel was asked by God, uh, I got something for you. I need you to go back down to earth because I got this message. He's like, I know you're sending me to Bethlehem, right? No, no, you're going to Nazareth. And I thought for sure I had that figured out. So he goes down and, 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 and he goes to this young woman, Mary. I know, I know the scriptures. We, you know, all my angel buddies, we were studying this, and he's supposed to come to Bethlehem. Man, we thought we had it figured out. So he's talking to this young lady, and he says, it tells her everything, and she said, yep, I, I'll, I will do what the Lord wants me to do, and, which was way different. Then the response he got from John the Baptist's daddy, that was some unbelief there. And he, was, he was like, are you kidding me? I stand before God Almighty and you're not believing what I'm telling you? You're not going to speak. You're, you're going to be not, dumb, no speaking. And he didn't speak until John the Baptist was born. And they came and asked, what shall we name him? And he wrote down on the tablet, John. And when he presented it, boom, he could speak. But the angel struck him, struck him because he didn't have the belief. So Gabriel is thinking he has it figured out, but no, he goes to this young Mary, and Mary carries this little baby. He's born in Bethlehem. So, I, I, you know, and, and the Bible says nothing about Gabriel. You know, I'm just throwing some things in because... I bet you anything they were doing stuff like that. Now, how did they get to Bethlehem? Yeah, Ronnie and I were talking, and we were talking about how people get upset if I talk about politics in church, politics. And I, I tell people, I got a whole list in my notebook of kings who had a spiritual leader. So it's over in, in my notebook. I wrote it down as part of a sermon for a couple weeks ago, but never got to it. King Saul had Samuel. 
King David had Nathan. King Ahab had Elijah. King Hezekiah had Isaiah. King Jehoiakim had uh, Jeremiah. All, these were kings. They were over the political system of the day. And they had a spiritual leader that they looked to. Or came to them when they got out of line and got them back in line. The Lord's got a message for you, and he told it to them. You know, and everybody knows the one that uh, you know, Nathan did to David. I mean, that's, that was a tough one there. That was a beautiful word picture. David had committed the sin with Bathsheba, and he never really saw it for how horrible it was, but Nathan came to him and told him that story about the little sheep, and David got outraged and said, I want that man and he will die, and Nathan looked in his face and said, you are the man. We all have to have a spiritual leader. Now, what we were talking about was, why did Joseph and Mary end up in Bethlehem? Scripture said it, they were going to be there, but what made them at that point in history to go there? The government. The government said that you got to go to your hometown for the census and the taxation and all that stuff. It was the government that made a decree for the people to actually go to fulfill Scripture, prophecy. So I'll talk about government. I'll talk about politics. Because, like, like the message I did just recently, separation of church and state equals Babel. If your definition of, of separation of church and state is what most people say, is they want absolutely no religion, no church, no Bible in any kind of government. Okay, if that's what you mean, then you have Babel. Total confusion, and you might even end up with a boy saying he's a girl can swim on a uh, college swim team and share the locker room with the girls. And everybody seems it's going to be okay. They, they say it's okay. You might end up there. You might end up in total confusion if you leave the Word of God out of your schools, whether it's elementary, high school, or college. I gave Ronnie that book a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you've got to the part with the colleges and how the colleges were set up. Yale, Harvard, Columbia, Brown, all of these colleges, if you look at their original documents and what, their, their, uh, what they expected their students to do, it might have been Harvard or Yale one, but they were set up for seminary. They were, they were to train men to be preachers of the gospel. And students were instructed to read their Bibles twice a day, they all went to church service, and they were, they were told, you better be reading your Bible because you're going to be stopped on campus, and you're going to have to explain why you're, you know, uh, be able to defend your faith, and you've got to be ready for that. Can you imagine anything like happen, happening at Harvard today or Yale? They're totally messed up. So when you take the Word of God, out of those places, that's what you end up getting. So Jesus, 
grows up, tempted in all points like we are, never failed, and then he goes to the cross willingly because all those legions of angels are ready to rescue him. They're thinking it's finally coming. The kingdom of heaven is finally here. Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David. It's finally going to happen. And he's, they're told to back off, back off. What, what, what do you mean? We've been waiting 4,000 years for this to happen. And they physically go and take the king and falsely accuse him. Got false witnesses to come in and to, to speak because they had nothing on him because he did nothing wrong. Pilate couldn't even... He's like, there's nothing wrong with this guy. He's done nothing wrong. And he offered, how about Barabbas or Jesus? Barabbas was a danger to society. Do you want me to let him go? Or how about I just let Jesus go? He figured for sure they'd pick Jesus. No. They started yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate had to let Barabbas go. And Jesus went to the cross. Barabbas represents each and every one of us. We should have been taken a hold of, escorted to that cross, laid down on it, nailed to it, and stood up and dropped in the hole. Barabbas, when they came to let him go, probably was in fear, thinking, knowing what crucifixion was like, thinking that they were coming to get him. I think that middle cross was for him that day. And when they came to let him go, he was probably sick and terrified. And they came to get him and said, you're free to go. What? Why? Because that man Jesus, that crazy dude, he's taking your spot. And each and every one of us need to realize that's what Jesus has done for us. He went to that cross on our behalf. He was nailed to it, and he was rose up, dropped in the hole, and he was crucified there in front of everybody. And he could have at any moment called in those legions of angels to take him away from all that, but he wouldn't do it because he wanted to be the Lamb of God. He wanted to be the ultimate sacrifice that would, that would give all of us the ability to turn to him. Now, just because, there's so many people that think just because Jesus did what he did, then he's taken everybody's sin away. No. He's given you the opportunity. You've been freed from Egypt. We were talking about be, uh, people being freed from Egypt, but they died in the wilderness. This past Sunday we were talking about that. You've been set free from the bondage of the world, the flesh, and the devil. You've been set free by what Jesus did, but what are you going to do with that freedom? And most people, they just walk away and live their life any way they want to live it. Instead of being so thankful for what Jesus did for them and wanting to be His servant forever. That's, that's the difference. So you, you read the whole story of uh, the children of Israel coming out of uh, Egypt. They died in the wilderness. Very few made it to the promised land. It took them 40 years. So I, I believe that there's a whole lot of people who just hear 
things about the Bible, may even come to church so that they can keep a log of how many times they've been to church. I carry a Bible around. I got five Bibles in my house, whatever, you know, brag about how many Bibles they might have. may ne- have never read any of them, but they're sitting around. I'm, I'm a good person. You know, I'm way better than that person than that person. Yeah, but how do you measure up to Jesus? Eh, not so good. But I sure am better than him. But you've got to measure yourself to Jesus. If you're as good as him, you might make it to heaven. Sad thing is, <laughs> if you, one person might be so much better than everybody else that's walking around on this earth. They're, they're up here and everybody else is down there. But they're only here. You're a million, billion miles away from ever being good enough to make it to heaven on your own. So you can't look at others. you got to realize that you are lost without Him. And you call out to G- you just call out to Him, ask Him to save you, and He promised He would. He wants, he wants all to come to Him. Unfortunately, not all do. We try the best we can to get the word out. But if you don't, if you don't have enough of the word of God, then you're not, you're not really knowing what to believe. That's why we, we try so hard to get people to read the Bible. We try so hard to get people to come to church. Please just come to church and, and listen to the word. And because you've got to have something to believe. And the word of God is what gives you all the answers. So, all right, James, let's talk about James, let's talk about the book of James. James, this is uh, chapter 1, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now, Now, he says the twelve tribes. Now, who are the 12 tribes? That's very Jewish in nature, right? And this, it is uh, thought that this epistle was written in, I think 49 is probably the latest that they said it could be written. 49 AD. So that would make it one of the earliest, if not the earliest. The early church was all Jewish. Remember that? The begin thousands. Was it like 3,000 added in a day? Something like that. You see, you see where the, it was the Jews believing and Paul, who was Saul at the time, he went out to persecute those Jewish people that were converting over to this new thing called Christianity. Then, it was later that Peter was on his way to Cornelius. Actually, Peter was just kind of minding his own business, and I think it was three men that showed up. That would be significant if it was three men that showed up. Ooh. Oh, the number three. That is, you know when you see the number three that God set it up. God, it's a divine number it's it's uh it's God's logo when you see the number 3 and you see it all through the bible 
Now, Peter went to Cornelius' house, and that's when you see Gentiles coming into the church. So James is, like I said, when, it, when you see the 12 tribes, that's Jewish. He's writing to the Jewish people. And as we go through the book of James, I'm going to try to point out the places where it matches up almost perfectly with the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is only in Matthew. Now, people will say, well, that part of it's over here in Luke and that part, but they are different. And I, and I hope that you saw it when I, was, I, I preached through all of that. And Matthew is very different than the other Gospels. And if you try to live up to the Sermon on the Mount, you'll never feel confident that you are a child of God. Because you're going to see things. So you believe with all your heart, and you think you're born again. You're like, all right, I, I believed. I, I accept it as a free gift. Then you read through the Sermon on the Mount, and you're like, oh, I thought it was a free gift, but i got to do this, 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 and this. I, gotta, I can't keep up with all this stuff. I can't do all this. And you get confused. That's why I was so adamant about trying to make sure everybody understood the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And there are so many people out there that don't see the difference at all. They don't see one bit of a difference in it. But getting back to all those angels, kingdom of heaven, Jesus is going to sit on the throne. But he died. The people took it by violence and force. They took control of the kingdom of heaven. Angels are thinking, this is it. Now it's been 2,000 years and the angels are going... Why didn't you, why didn't, you know, we had Bible study. Why didn't you figure this one out? So we're 2,000 years. Kingdom of heaven still hasn't been set up. But the kingdom of God, that mystery that had been hidden, God didn't want the angels to know. Why? Because then Satan would have figured it out. Because they wouldn't have, been, they wouldn't have stayed, kept their mouth shut. We know that the demons and Satan, he's, he's roaming. If Satan would have known what the plan was, he wouldn't have tried to stop anything. I mean, it would have been like... It, it would have totally changed the way Satan went about what he was doing. So everybody was puzzled. Guess what? Judaism, the nation of Israel, today are still confused about it. Because they're saying, well, he didn't sit on the throne of David. He did not set up the kingdom. That wasn't the Messiah. But then there are those Jews, like these early church that uh, James is writing to, they, they figured it out. They're called Messianic Jews. Because they believe in Jesus. They believe, oh, they see the mystery. Jesus taught in parables, and he actually said in Matthew 13... I speak this way so they won't understand. Wow. It, there's a whole lot that we just cannot try to figure out. We just got to believe and accept it. And God's got it figured out. And I'm, I'm like those angels, you know, thinking I got certain things figured out, and all of a sudden I get thrown for a loop. Like, wow, I thought I had that figured out. The Bible is actually written to blind people. Think about it. 
There are people that the nation of Israel is blind, but yet you pray for wisdom. It's in James. I've already read through the whole thing. You pray for wisdom, and God gives it to you. And all of a sudden, the Bible starts making sense, and it's got the power to save you. The Word of God's got the power to save you. And at the same time, people, other people read it and are blind. They see what's, all, what, what's happening, and, they, and they're just lost. I mean, it's nuts. So, um, if, if, you, if you try to get salvation out of James, it's going to be tough. Other than he tells you that you need the word of truth. That's very true. There's people who fought against James being part of the canon of the Bible because of it looks like he's talking about works and Paul was talking about faith and grace and how can you let these two go together but it's inspired it made it in our Bibles and if it made it in the Bible then it was inspired and we need it and it's not at the beginning of the New Testament even though it was the first New Testament book written it's way back here in the back after you've gotten a really good, solid uh, foundation in the epistles that Paul wrote. Critical that we got that first. Because if all you had was James, you'd be in bad shape, I think. It's hard, it's really, it's a, it's a tough book, but I think, I think we need it because it's in our Bible. We've got one verse done. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers or dif different uh, temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Again, James has got faith in it 16 times, so we've already hit it once, and it's only the third verse. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And that's not, when the King James Bible says want, thou shalt not want, it's basically saying you don't have a, you don't have a need. All your needs are taken care of. It's not that you want some ice cream. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's over and above your, what, your, what your needs are. If any of you lack wisdom, here it is, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He doesn't hold it back. And it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not the man think that, the, that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So you, we, we are not supposed to be, you know, it talks about all these, uh, these different temptations. He, he says, count it joy when you run into troubles, when bad things happen. And then, talking about how, how you have to ask for wisdom. And when you go to ask, ask in faith and not wavering. Don't be... You need to have all the confidence when you pray 
for wisdom and faith and those types of things. Don't be somebody that is wondering why did, are these bad things happening to me? Or everything's working out so great and you tend to forget God because that life is wonderful. There's people who are living a wonderful life, making plenty of money, they see no need for God, and they're very selfish and do their own thing. And sometimes it takes something, a trial and a temptation, something to get them to think about something other than just living this life that's just a vapor. It's, this life is going to be gone, and what do you have to show for it at the end of it? Any questions so far? So it, the next several Wednesdays, we'll, we'll get into, uh, we'll keep just inching our way through and get a good, a good uh, study on, on the book of James. As you read through the Word, I hope everybody's reading on a daily basis. If you've got questions, bring them. Wednesday night's the perfect time for that. In chapter, uh, in chapter 1, in verses 2 and 12, talking about adversity, you can match that up with Matthew 5, 10 and 12. And this is just a comparison of the Sermon on the Mount that's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 with the, thing, the different topics that are, we're going to cover in James. In James, you're going to see adversity. We've already talked about that. You're going to see prayer. We've already talked about that. You need to pray for wisdom without wavering. Uh, the single eye, and that's uh, not being double-minded. We, we already talked about that as well. Wealth, which is the very next verse. Wrath, the law. Mere profession. That's what I was talking about earlier, people who just, they just claim to be a Christian. They, it's like, what religion are you? And Well, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Methodist, or I'm a this, I'm a that. There's so many Christians that are, it's just their title. They're Christians in name only. So that's mere pro profession. And uh, uh, Christ talks about that in Matthew 6, on the Sermon on, Sermon on the Mount, uh, 1 through 18. The royal law, which is spoken of in the second chapter of James, Jesus speaks about that as well. Mercy, faith and works, root and fruit, true wisdom, the peacemaker, judging others, rusted treasures and oaths. All of those topics are covered in James and match up with the Sermon on the Mount. So, remember... Sermon on the Mount is very, it's very, I, sh I should say, kingdom of heaven oriented. Because Jesus is going to come back. And he is going to set up an earthly kingdom for the Jewish nation. Uh, uh, if you, if you want to know about what the Bible says about the Jewish nation, has God done away with them? God forbid. Go to, go to uh, Romans. We, we just went over all of that in Sunday school. That was, nine, I think it was 9, 10, and 11. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 talk about, give you 
everything you, every answer you need to know as far as has, has God just forgot the nation of Israel? No, He has not. And the kingdom of heaven is for them, not for believers who are already, if you're a true believer, you're in the kingdom of God now. That mystery that was hid from the ages gone by, when Jesus was taken by force and crucified on a cross, the king was violently taken, the kingdom of heaven was taken, it was not allowed, but it was all part of God's plan, it looked like Satan was winning. Satan was like, wow, I can't believe. I can't believe this is working. And he didn't understand. Just like the angel didn't understand. Just like the prophets didn't even understand. The prophets wrote and then went back and studied what they wrote, trying to figure out what it meant. First Peter. First Peter. So it was it was a trick. <laughs> it was a mystery. And it tricked the people needed to be tricked. It was awesome for everybody else. All the Gentile nations are now able to get into the kingdom of God by simply believing what Jesus did for them. All right? That good enough for tonight? Any questions? She's scared to ask a question because it might be one of those one-hour answers. Now you're scared. Sorry. Anybody have anything? Did I did I did anything I, you, I need to clear up? Did I say something that might have confused our new person that's here? Right. Well, I just want to make sure that we understand uh, we understand what true salvation really is, what it what it means to be in the family of God, and uh, the Word of God, the Bible is critical to that, and how we have. As a, as a nation, we have pushed that out. We've purposely allowed men to, be, to creep in unaware, and their whole plan was the devil's plan. He, this is one of those things where it's going to take an hour to explain. Because you've got to go all the way back to Balaam in Numbers. And the story of Balaam, y'all want to stay for another hour? We'll turn turn to numbers. You don't want to stay for another hour. All right, you're you're free to go. Let's 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 pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night, and Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that each and every one of us has been touched by your word. That we will be people who want to not just hear it, but to be doers of it as well. And Father, I pray that we, we would walk every day in a way that would be pleasing to you. So that we won't just be Christians in name only, but that we will be real Christians. And people will be able to see it because of what we do. And Father, I hope that we can, with your help and the Holy Spirit going before us, that we will be able to meet the needs of those who maybe just don't know you that you will use us for a divine appointment and be able to introduce people to you. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.